this is Foreign Devs with Victor Gonzalez and myself, Yanni Ullenberg. Hello. So this is episode two. Yep, uh, number two. I've at least got plenty to talk about. What about you? Yeah, I got I got way too much material. We'll see how much uh, how much we get through. I'm excited though. Uh, okay, I think episode okay. one was was well received, and I'm excited to do some more. Oh, I've been pumped about the uh, view counts, or not view counts. I'm so used to saying view counts, but <laughs> the uh, uh, I'm really the play uh, counts. excited. Play yeah. counts. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's been uh, strong so far. So hopefully we can keep this going. Uh, you remember in last week's episode we were talking about real mayo and. Yes. We were talking about yes. marketing. You know, yes. sometimes we know our product so well, but we fail to deliver that message to our customers, mm-hmm. our audience. Yep. yep. So one thing that really stood out is the boat company you work for makes a 28-footer. And for the first few months that I saw it, and I'm going to step out on a limb here and say, I thought, Neon, you know, it's another 28-footer. Boring. But then uh, hold we on, we're, we're going to have to take a sidestep here real quick. It's a 28-foot boat, right? So it's a it's boat. A 20, only, yep, tw- yeah. yeah, you know. 28-foot yeah. long boat. Yeah, there we go. Again, with the marketing thing, we know our product. You know, you're over there like 28-footer. Somebody else may be like not understanding. What it, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> I got to keep that in my mind. So, you know, there's, there's uh, plenty to choose from in that size category because it is a popular size. And uh, when I first saw the... 28 footer from your company i you know i just thought okay it's a 28 foot size boat sure but then last year and about exactly almost a year ago yep. we were down in miami and we were shooting the videos doing a photo shoot that mm-hmm. was a lot, that was a lot of fun a lot of fun and you had two of the 28 footers down there one had a ton of power twin 300s mm-hmm. another one was more of like a uh, base package with the lowest power form on that twin 200 Yamahas. Yeah. So that's so, 600 horsepower on one and 400, and 400. horsepower on the other one. So exactly. I mean, plenty of power on both. I mean, 400 horsepower is still a lot, but the other one's got 600. So it's a speed machine. So we go to shoot the video on, on the pair of them. And I take the one with 400 horses out. And I'm just, I'm not even, I'm not, you know, thinking, oh, this is going to be anything exciting. I'm just thinking, okay, you know, it's a, it's a video. And we go, we take off out of, out of the marina and open them up. And I literally held onto the wheel and looked around back to make sure I was remembering correctly that I was on the right boat. <laughs> the boat flew with a pair of 200s. Yeah, and that's a nice setup. I started playing with it a little bit and started having some fun, um, you know, throwing it through the turns. And my jaw dropped with that boat. I mean, it was amazing. It handles like a sports car on the water. It's super nimble. Um, with a pair of 200s on it, the boat flies. Then you get into the one with the 300s, you know, 600 mm-hmm. horses, and it is an absolute performance monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I went in not expecting anything, and I came out, I spent more time, I think, on that boat than any other boat we shot uh, that week. And I came out, and it is by far, I think, the best boat I've ever driven. Eh, that's, that's saying a lot. Just just a side note here. I mean, Yanni has driven hundreds of boats. When we talk about yeah, you know, just just videos alone, we've probably done 150 videos on boats. So, you oh, know, it's way way past uh, that. I mean, I think I once counted me and you had done something like 300 or so. Oh man, it's it's that's it's. A- so when up. it comes to it opinions on how uh, how boats boats ride, I mean, we reliable source here for sure. <laughs> well, well, it's just. So where I'm going with this is, again, I didn't think anything, or, you know, I just thought, okay, it's a 28-footer from your, from your company, and I have a lot of respect for your company. But now I'm like, hey, do you guys know, you know, have you driven it? Have you, you know, experienced it? You need have to you get heard? on it. It's the best, it's the best <laughs> boat on the planet. Have you heard? Have you heard? And I feel like I still can't communicate the... 
experience I had to customers. They look at me like I'm crazy when I'm uh, telling them at a boat show or something, you know, hey, you got to get out there. You won't believe how good this is. I tell you what, so, though, I mean, from, from your experience, just as a quick side note, I mean, from your experience, this is this was a real world thing that you lived through. But they hear this from just about every other sales guy just saying the same thing, who's really just kind of saying it, you know, not really having experienced it. So, you know, it almost sounds like you're faking it, you know, to be honest. Oh, you know, well, I understand that fully. I understand that fully. So where is that right point? And, and uh, you know, is there a secret sauce to conveying that experience um, truthfully to, to the audience? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think on a, on a case like that where you're live, you know, right in front of the person, a lot of people will know if you're being genuine or not. You know, I mean, right off the bat, I think that they would know, yeah, this person is, they know what they're talking about or it's it's in the digital world that it everything becomes ones and zeros and it's so difficult to convey the warmth of the message, right? The message yep. is easy to deliver, right? The words are there, you know, the pictures are there, but the warmth of the message is what is difficult and can't transfer from analog to digital, right? If that makes any sense at all, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I think you're going, you know, really nailing it there. I had a uh, company that does animated videos reach out last week and I put right away a nice response to them. I said, you know, we really try to demonstrate the real world experience you can have on a boat. Animations just, they are, you know, they are not for our audience. They're everything that we're uh, trying not to do with the videos. So, yeah, it's you got to have that warmth and convey that experience as uh, as honestly as you can. Yeah. And just to follow up on some of the stuff we talked about in the previous episode, how's that uh, website launch? Any news on that? No, no, that's uh, that's in limbo right now. Um, I think just. Just, just, just need to put together the plan to tackle it in house, but uh, that is not an official decision yet. But uh, that's what I'm leaning towards. How about the uh, bigger factor you were working on? That's actually going great. Um, You're still really working going, on it. Woo. Yeah, I'm finishing up pieces. Um, and it's funny you bring that up because on today's episode of No Plans to Merge, another great podcast out there. There was some talk about update, you know, you introduce some new features, but then you need to update factories, et cetera, your tests. Um, and they were talking about, would it make any sense to use feature flags for that? And it kind of made me feel that I was on the right track or one possible right track in creating new refactored code to introduce that replaces, uh, say, classes, new classes that replace existing classes. So I have an existing working code base, and then through the migrations, it actually takes those old classes, deprecates them, and introduces those new refactored classes. So I'm going to put up a code sample up on uh, Null Thoughts. It's a little bit difficult to understand until you see how streamlined the migrations are. Uh, But I'm happy with how they turned out. Yeah, from a conceptual point of view, um, you know, a feature flag is where you physically have all these features, all these features implemented in code, but you put if statements and somehow you toggle them on or off. So yeah. say that the application now is able to accept uh, multiple email addresses for a field where before maybe it only accepted a single email address. So you deploy, but only certain, you know, probably your staging server would have this flag, which would make it have that feature turned on. And then you could test it and do everything in a real server. And then when you're ready, you either leave that option in somewhere in your .emv file or however you decide to turn features on or off. And then when you're ready, you either strip out the code or you leave that in. I mean, however you want to handle it, but that's just, it's just another way of rolling out new features into your application without just diving right in, I guess would be the, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what the huge win would be in that, except that 
you have a lot of cleanup afterwards, right? Yeah, that's that's what sure. always worries worries me with uh, feature flags is you get code blowed and then you have this you know sweep up job you got to go through and and sometimes ah. it's easier than than you know than other times you know but I mean I could see I could see me maybe using a feature flag in one or two strategic parts of my application, um, perhaps where you're hiding. Like if you have a products page, right? Maybe you'll have these product launches and you've got some products that you want to hide or pages or features or things like that. But I couldn't see me in a full feature flag workflow where everything I do turns into a, you know, a feature flag and I have to turn it on or off and toggle it. And I, I just don't see me doing that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Uh, I've got a topic here I wanted to go over, uh, but I don't know if you got something first you want to dive into. No, let's let's do yours. Okay. Go ahead. What was your first professional or paid-for development project? And it doesn't have to be PHP, just anything. What was your first development project that you got paid for? Well, development, it was actually PHP. And it's... okay. If you want to hear the whole story, you know, I'm sure we got time. But so my sister worked for for a boat company. They made uh, inflatable boats, right? So the type you'd see hanging off the side of a big cruise ship or something. Yep, yep. And they hired me to redesign their website. And I was still in high school at the time, probably 16, 17 years old. Uh, definitely 16. Yeah, 16 years old. And I knew some HTML. I, I didn't. You know, I, when you're 16 or 17, your perception of what you know what you're, to the truth is probably a little skewed. But <laughs> in my eyes, I thought that, you know, I can handle this. I looked at the website and I said, this ain't no problem. I can handle this. So I said, well, it's going to take a lot of time. It's probably going to take about two months to get this done. So let's wait until the summer. When I leave school, then I can just basically work here for two months full time. And so fast forward to to the first, so somehow I guess I convinced them to say yes to that, but you know, that's besides the point. Um, so I showed up to my first day of work and I start looking through, you know, at the time you'd have to like FTP into the server and, you know, very different times. And, um, I start to see these, uh, .php files and, you know, I spent all day trying to find what I was seeing on the page, you know, expecting flat <laughs> HTML files. So I spent all day, probably the, the better half of that entire week searching, you know, doing just grep on files and find. And I'm like, whoa, where's this text coming from? Like just copying bits and pieces, trying to find where I could edit and type into, you know, these these things that I was seeing on the page, but they were not being reflected. And there were all these weird PHP files, which kind of looked like HTML. And if you were around at that time, you know that, you know, PHP was basically just a templating engine inside HTML files. So they looked like HTML files, but they didn't say any of the things that I thought they should say that I was seeing on the page. And then on top of that, I brought it down into my system. I tried to run it locally and the files, they wouldn't work. <laughs> it was a... It was a, a an oh boy moment. You must for have me. been sweating. You you must. You been have no bullets. idea. You have no idea. So I had committed to doing this thing, and I said, "All right, well, I I got to figure it out, right?" So this was the deep end of the pool, and so I spent the first month of the two months that I had to do it learning PHP, right? So I. I went to lynda.com. That was like the, the go-to source at the time. And they had this beginner's PHP course. And it was, I mean, it was crazy. The fact that I was able to, I did get this project done, by the way, which is absolutely nuts. 17-year-old Victor did actually complete this project that required me to actually learn programming because I knew HTML, but yeah, that's that's very different. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, that was my first paid gig. So right after that, I started a uh, senior year in high school and I decided that, you know, that that was probably something I was going to want to do for the rest of my life in one way or another. Okay, so that was it. Okay. That was my first paid project. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I'm happy to hear it was a PHP project. My first one was not. So I had been you know, working on websites since I was pretty young, uh, just through friends, you know, it was kind of we were all into graphic design and then, you know, some started mixing in web design and 
started learning HTML, but I was still mainly using front page for websites back then. And, and, uh, one of one company I was, uh, doing some other work for some graphic design work for asked if I could create them a program to make, um, it was Boat Trader magazine back then, which was a printed publication weekly. Uh, they had an ad in there that had, I think it was 30 different pictures of boats and pricing and just year make model for them. And they hated opening, opening up. I think it was Microsoft publisher they were using at the time. And, uh, I thought, yeah, I might be able to do something. So I jumped in visual basic and I think in one weekend I got everything almost working right. There were some issues with printing, but, but it was my first real, uh, piece of software that's pretty um, awesome because all the websites up in that till then had just been static but it was uh yeah, it was a cool cool visual basic that, program that is that pretty that is pretty purpose. awesome yeah yeah you know i didn't yeah. i didn't get any of the sort of windows visual basic stuff at all obviously i, I, I didn't own one but you didn't miss anything no, no no a lot of people did though i do know a lot of people even did net you know in terms of um, you know, some sort of dynamic website creation. And I did use um, Publisher um, for a while too and Front Page and Dreamweaver as well. And uh, and Flash. Yeah, that was my favorite. I, you know, that was my favorite. Oh, oh I was, I <laughs> With was one of the guys. Script. I was, I, I, was, it action, was it called Action Script? What was yeah, the language yeah. called? Yep. Was action it Action Script? script? Yep. Man, I, so actually funny side story on on Flash. So, one of my dad's friends, who was actually a songwriter, nothing to do with it, somehow he ended up with a bunch of projects that he would get hired to do, and they were all website projects. So he would go out and find and buy a Flash template and sell it to the customer, whoever it was, and then him and I would go out and you know, fix the template to make it fit the company. Okay. So I actually did probably like 10 or 15 flash projects um just not from scratch or anything but you know you know you buy those those templates they're made designed by designer and they're hack, kind of hacked together and you go in there and you hack it a little more and you end up with a website but yeah man i did like five 15 of those flash projects that was wow, a thing that's, templates that's, flash templates i mean that was huge i was i always had a thing against flash i mean i i used it just fine and I've worked with it a lot in school, but I just never felt it was the right fit. And as soon as Apple kind of waged the war on Flash, I was right there. I was like, yes. More like Steve Jobs, yeah. single-handedly killed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was good. Yeah, you know, speaking, and, uh, speaking of HTML, uh, unless you got something else. No, no, this. no, go ahead. You know, so, so I learned HTML obviously was my very first actually, you know, written language, right? I wouldn't count publish or anything like that as, you know, a language. But do you know my question has has kind of been so HTML has evolved just as much as other languages have, right? Just as much as JavaScript and PHP. I haven't personally, I haven't learned any new HTML stuff. And I haven't even focused on that, but I feel like I should. I mean, there's there's a bunch of new tags that exist that I don't know anything about. You know, it's funny because I was looking at something. Uh, I pulled up an old project that me and you worked together on oh, eight years ago. And I was looking at some of the tags in there and uh, the data attribute. I was thinking, wow. And this was just earlier today. I was thinking, wow. You know, data attributes, we were using them back then. And things really haven't progressed that much, but you know there's of course some some new bits and pieces, but there hasn't been this huge evolution that we've seen with other languages. Yeah, but I mean, there's definitely some stuff in there that you know we we haven't really paid too much attention to, but there are definitely some some new HTML tags and some, some updates here and there on certain things, and you All know, right. I time mean. To, time to dive into it. Yeah, it, it's one number, of those things where number nine hundred ninety nine on the to do list. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, it's definitely definitely low in the priority scale, but there's definitely some some new stuff coming out. Like the there's a there's a main tag, there's a header tag, yep, uh, yep. there's a figure figure tag, K 
canvas. There's a, there's a bunch of new tags that semantically fit better, right? Than than just using diff tags for absolutely everything on your page, oh, right? Which is basically absolutely. what I do today, right? So you you make a diff tag for absolutely everything because that's all we had, and so that's that's how I've always written HTML, just you know, sticking in a diff tag, you know. But there are actually you know sections and asides, and there's a bunch of stuff that I don't know at this moment, and so yeah, it's definitely one of those things that. I'll have to revisit in the future. Okay. And one more example, and this is a funny story. So nowadays, everyone wants to protect their security cameras. And uh, back this was probably 1999, 2000. Uh, again, another boat dealership example. Actually, the original founder of the company uh, that Victor and I ended up working for he purchased a twenty or twenty-two thousand dollar camera system that showed his dealership lot simply so that customers on the website could see the dealership. Yeah, the webcams. Uh, oh, those the were webcam, huge. Yeah, the yeah. webcams. Yes. Oh, those were huge, man. You used to log into those and be like, "Oh, look! Oh, they they have that. They have this. I remember those." And the yeah. security company that set it up could not understand that he was simply purchasing it so that visitors on his website could see, you know, the dealership. And uh, somehow it came up, you know, came to me where to figure out how to bypass this password prompt because it had a web server. And I spent, spent you know, hours or days on it and uh, ultimately ended up posting the question on on a form of some sort and like the top uh, contributor there uh this guy named matt who's a who ended up really being a php mentor to me and writing a lot of apis for for things i worked on uh he came to rescue and you know showed me how to pass parameters and a get request and, and basically inject in the default username and password and uh after that you know kind of being inspired by what he was doing and following him along and annoying him for the better part of uh, two decades, <laughs> uh, you know, started picking up more and more PHP, you know, skills and traits from him. But yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy to think, you know, all that uh, we've experienced over the years development wise and how things have evolved and, you know, uh, how our paths have been forged. Yeah, no. And it's a, uh... It was a difficult path back then because it was it was changing so much, but it's even more of a difficult path today to start. You know, oh, I, I think so. It's I think so. it's a mountain today. I mean, there everybody has a different opinion on you know what you should learn, what you should learn first. Um, I've been posed with the question of should you learn PHP or do you think that you could just jump straight and learn Laravel and learn PHP sort of as a secondary thing. I don't know. I mean, I think it's possible. I think you could probably uh, I, just I, I do think it's in. possible. You know, nowadays when I go tackle vanilla PHP projects, I almost feel like a fish out of water. Um, it, it's like a craftsman showing up without his toolbox, in a sense. Yeah, you know, I could so, see that. Yeah, There's so much, so much we've become accustomed to in Laravel and uh, maybe, maybe just like um, and, and this doesn't I don't think this exists you know maybe we can something we could even cover in coder state but a just a PHP crash course like here is the very basics you need to know to start learning Laravel right and it, and it wouldn't be anything in depth where you start to implement your own PDO to communicate to a database you know you don't cover those things because you don't have to anymore yep yep no, I think that's a great idea and and uh, yeah, uh, if you can get you know a pretty s simple and streamlined enough to where there's that appetite for PHP, uh, but the basic fundamentals to dive into Laravel, that'd be a great course. Yeah, you know, on the other, on the other, completely other scale of this, um, was something that I personally, you know, sort of fight with myself is fighting the complexity in my code. Until it's just absolutely necessary. And, um, you know, I see so often jumping into these very complicated 
you know, things. So I got asked about um, service layers and repositories in a patent, you know, in a, in a Laravel project. And, you know, should you use them and should you not use them? And it's uh, it's a difficult question to answer because there is, I mean, obviously there is no perfect or right or perfect answer, you know, but in a lot of ways, I feel like we jump so quick into the most complicated way that we could do things when we can get away with sticking everything in the model. Um, I mean, I know, I know that, again, this is something that we, we've talked about even in the, you know, in the first episode, we talked about sort of being inside your, my school box versus just, uh, just out there and get it out there. You know I mean? It, maybe it's just my personal thing that I always feel like I'm in the box and I just try to step out of the box and say, you know what, I'm not going to implement this in this difficult way. I'm going to do it the easiest way, you know, possible. Yeah. Um, you know, being, I'm, or I'm always driven to try to find that quickest and best case, but, even today, it's something I was working on. I started thinking, okay, well, you know, I could spend the time and make this better, you know, make it better code-wise. But uh, it would would have taken a lot of time, and it wasn't something that would have ultimately really made any any difference. But it would have brought me that personal satisfaction of doing it the best way possible. And uh, I had to draw the line at some point. I just it was a, a feature that's temporary in scope. So it's uh, something I just had to make a call on and, and not not uh, go too far with it, not abstract too much. Yeah, and, and, I, and I sort of feel the same way with things like, uh, you know, like type hinting um, in PHP. Obviously, as, as, PHP, as PHP has grown up a lot, there's a lot of fe- new features now that, lock in your code and say, well, this variable absolutely has to be of this particular type, or it has to return this particular type of object. I stay away from those. And I, and again, it's maybe because I'm thinking back to my Java days where I just, you know, it was such a mission. Everything felt like a mission because all these variables there, you know, you have to, you have to declare them in a certain way and you cannot change them after that. So you can't turn a string into an integer and an integer into a string. And, and you know, this is something that we do all the time, you know, in, in, in our projects. And and seeing all of this stuff kind of creep into PHP just oof, rubs me the wrong way, I got to tell you. Yeah, I couldn't understand. Um, and I think ultimately it comes down to there is no, you know, one solution fits all. You know, every project that we work on is, going to be something unique and it's not always a black and white answer. We sometimes got to step into that gray area and simply find the best best solution for our needs at the moment. Yeah. I just, you know, with a lot of that, that new stuff is it, just because it comes out doesn't mean you have to implement and use it in every single project. Right. No. <laughs> and and <laughs> in the community, you know, we're going to find a lot of strong opinionated people and, um, just this past week and I was looking at a uh, stack overflow and wanted to co- contribute a bit and happened to come across a related topic, uh, dealing with uh, JSON columns in Laravel. And it's something that, uh, there's not a whole lot of documentation on, uh, Laravel is extremely powerful with JSON column types and, and, uh, it's really one of those untapped features and I've taken yeah. a real deep dive into it. I mean, I've, I've, I think I've pushed a lot of the boundaries and I'm really satisfied with uh, the, the power there and the features there. And it is so easy to work with once you get into it. And I think most developers, if they were to embrace it a little bit, they'd say, how, how did I ever work without this? And um, yeah, yeah, I know. I've been publishing some articles on it, but uh, just really time constraints have kept me from from publishing everything I've wanted. Uh, those articles do take take time, and you want to make sure everything is uh, is uh, right in your examples. You know, nothing that confuses anyone. But uh, there was a lot of misinformation about JSON on uh, Stack Overflow, and and of course, 
having a um, low contribution count, my, my answers won't get taken with the same authority as someone who maybe has answered, you know, 10,000 JavaScript questions, but uh, now is simply looking at the documentation on Laravel.com. So it's, uh, it's challenging, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, do... I, those, yeah, those JSON columns are very, very cool. Um, if you're not familiar with what it is, is it's a way, it, it's actually a column type in MySQL that you can use um, to have a JSON string inside a field. So at first it may seem like, well, why would you really want to do that? But the nice thing with it is that you can have any elements inside of it. So it would be uh, an example that would be if you had, say, user preferences, and it would change from users. Some users may have set certain preferences that other users didn't set. And if tomorrow you added a new preference setting, if you didn't have those, you'd have to add a whole entire column to the database just to say if that user opted in for that option of what they chose or something like that, where with a JSON column, it's almost like a schema-less um, inside MySQL, right? Absolutely. Am I explaining that right? Oh, absolutely. And um, it's great for data, or where I really like it is data where you might not have that same data across every record where you need that flexibility uh, to store a lot of information, but you don't want 10,000 columns or, you know, I'm just making that number up, but you don't want a hundred different columns for every single possible. Uh, yeah. We're, we're basically, they're going to be empty. They're going to be false. They're going to be null for most records. And you're going to have sprinkles here and there of information on these columns. And it, it's great for that, you know, and, and I love the flexibility of it in terms of just being able to, you don't, you're not forced to use these particular columns. You could still, I mean, and the nice thing is the combination. So you're not giving up anything, right? So you no, can still no. use your regular columns and you just have this one JSON column or as many as you want and say, all right, well, this is the user's preferences. And you can store that in the user table. And this one column can hold any number of preferences that that user has had, for example. Or if, as Yanni said, if you're bringing in some data from some providers and the data is slightly different from provider to provider, it would accommodate for those. And the nice thing is you could still access them, right, Yanni? You could still do select queries on them. You could still do everything that you would expect from a regular column, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, just it's, there's so much magic that Laravel's performing under the hood. It makes it extremely simple. Yeah. So you could do, you could do where has, for example, queries on uh, individual keys or attributes in your JSON data. So it's yeah, really the, powerful. The, the, the dot notation for that, right? Arrow accessor. Arrow, arrow, arrow accessor. Yeah, just okay. like you're working with an object. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's awesome because again, yeah. you, you don't lose anything. You could you can opt in, use it, or not use it. it. It doesn't matter. You don't lose anything by by adding one of those JSON columns in, into your tables. Just they're fantastic. Yeah. yeah. If we can only get Yanni to teach it to all of us. Yep, need to write some articles <laughs> and to get on coders' tape and stop procrastinating. If only we could get Yanni to teach us about that. Hmm. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be. But you know what wasn't nice? <laughs> what? That digital display I built, you got stolen. So what happened? It it did. So so if, if you missed the first episode, definitely go check it out. But Yanni used to build these uh these uh digital displays. They were touchscreen displays, 32 inches, and they were the they they looked really, really good and you would use them at a as a point of sale kind of thing and you could load in um, you know, full pages into them, play videos, have images, you know, the, it was very, very nice. And I bought one of the very last ones from Yanni for the company that I'm at. And we've used them. And every time we bring that to a show, everybody has to talk about it and go crazy. Well, recently we, we had a long weekend and we weren't there for a Monday and our property is, is fairly large and somebody broke in, right? Stole some stuff from from the boats and some electronics and stuff like that and they broke into the marketing trailer that i have where it, it's literally filled with trusses and and flags it's it's all like basically stuff you can't use it's just trade show stuff but it had the monitor right by right by the door and it was the only thing they took and I was so devastated. 
that they took my, you know, my distinct display. So yeah, what, I, what I'm laughing about is that's a 32 inch touchscreen panel. Yeah. It weighs about 30 pounds. It does. Some poor kid. Well, some kid now with a 32 inch touchscreen panel that he has no idea what to do with. Uh, or you know, or running, a record. Or yeah, the criminal running, record now. <laughs> the criminal record, yeah. Running, running Through the down. woods. Okay, yeah, through, through the, woods. the woods. Yep, yep. With a 32 inch touchscreen that he probably thought was a TV. Yeah. I'm assuming. When you look at them, they look like a TV. So when he got home, I'm uh, maybe not sure he has a it. really thick TV mounted on his wall now. Well, does does that not need? It needs a special power adapter, doesn't it? It's uh, not like he can plug. He can plug it into a, the wall. You need a specific cord. I mean, if you were a little bit talented in finding electrical cords, you could you could pick one up. But Best Buy or anyone won't have it. It's yeah, a standard so, you know, cord, it's, but nothing, you know, nothing. Nothing that you would have in your yeah. house. <laughs> no, no. So needless to say that that's going to go to waste. I can almost guarantee that because they're they're not even going to be able to find a power cord because the power cord was built into the the leg that held the, you know, the stand that held the, the monitor up. So he couldn't have taken that. Yeah. Too and, bad the ah. kid didn't get into development and let that consumer's time instead of breaking into trailers. I know. Well, you know. Make choices in life. You make choices. You yeah, dive into. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. Were you about to ask about React Native? Is that where I was going? No, I was about to ask about iOS 13, but. Uh... Oh yeah, no, I did install that. I'm, I'm loving the dark mode on it. Feels snappy. Feels good. Feels um, very snappy. Unlike any other update that the iPhone has ever had. Every time you do a big major update like that, you're like, oh, there we go. Time to get a new iPhone. This thing is too slow now. <laughs> And I've been complaining about my computer being uberly, terribly bad and slow. And it was very refreshing to get iOS 13 and my phone feels faster than it did yeah, in cool. iOS 12. Yeah. So super snappy, love the dark mode, love the new sharing features on it. Um, yeah, I'm actually excited to put it in my iPad Pro. Um, so yeah, Yeah, very I just cool. installed that today. I haven't even used my iPad Pro really. Uh, other than reading Kindle on it lately uh, and doing some sketches with Apple Pencil, I haven't haven't been using it much, but I really need to. And I'm looking forward to Catalina and the built-in features to utilize the iPad as a second display. So I think that's going to get me using my iPad Pro a bit more. Yeah, I actually I actually tapped into a little bit of that that second string screen stuff, not from obviously not from the operating system, but Adobe XD today. Um, it's a long story. I mean, I've been. I've been diving into React Native, and and that's that's a scary world. Um, <laughs> it's a frustrating world, just to say. But um, been designing an app and using Adobe XD, and then I texted Yanni today. I said, "Hey, is there any way that you could get this thing to preview on the iPad?" And happy to announce, it is absolutely possible. And not only is it possible, but you can actually unplug it after the fact and continue to use the app as if it was a real app on your iPad which is that's amazing. Awesome. It's amazing. So I actually showed what? it off, sh showed off the prototype right on my iPad. It wasn't like plugged into my computer or anything. And I was like blown away, you know. Well, I can't wait I to see that. what you're working on there. You know, I know I know it's top secret for now, but maybe I'll get a little sneak peek of it uh, as it, maybe, as it evolves. Maybe, but, but yeah, but I mean, what really what there is to talk about here is the React Native. So conceptually speaking, it's amazing, right? So you get to write, Theoretically, you get to write JavaScript and it gets compiled down to native scripts, right? So you wouldn't have to learn anything like Objective-C, which is extremely difficult or something like that. But in practice, boy, oh boy, it is not easy to sink your tooth into because I the resources are awful. Let's just start with that. I mean, I haven't been able to find reliable resources for anything and everything is trial and error. Everything's versioned weird. like. React Native has been around for years, and it's in version 0 0.54. How that makes any sense, I don't know. There's also another thing called React 360, which is meant to be for 360 um, videos or, oh. you know, sort of interactive things. Um, I cannot get it to talk to React Native. Interesting. I, I, I've, I have looked and looked for hours and hours on end on how to integrate 
React 360 into a React Native app? Nope, can't find anything. I tried to just hack it in there and get it in there, and I get all these you know cryptic JavaScript React errors that literally mean nothing at all, and it's just a wormhole, you know. And you dive in there, and it's been very, very, very frustrating to to get this to work. To the yeah, point I really where I, I mean, I consider just quitting and going and trying Swift or something. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to dive into React Native um, when I was using Cordova as part of the tech stack at Distinct. So I'd have, uh, you know, PHP, of course, vanilla PHP, handling my content creation, uh, which was then pushed down to uh, Android-based software on the digital displays. So I had a Cordova app that was uh, grabbing the content and, and displaying it, rendering it for the displays. And Cordova was kind of like a hybrid version uh, where you wrote JavaScript, JavaScript, and then it had modules that would would uh, perform native functions if you needed to access the camera or you needed to playback sound or video, etc. Um, it was kind of quirky, but it really did work well in some ways. Had some flaws, but I always thought for the for, for performance gains, I would want to get into React Native. Unfortunately, just never, never really did. But I've seen a lot of progress on getting Vue.js and other uh, more modern JavaScript libraries to uh, work with native code or native functions um, on yeah, I mean, Android yeah, devices the, or iOS. Yeah, and that's and that's the promised land, right? So, so why would you do this as opposed to just switching to Swift? Well, the promised land is that you get to develop one app that is for Android and iOS. And Absolutely. it's JavaScript, which you're supposed to already know, and it's supposed to be this magical place where everything is is great. In practice, it hasn't it hasn't quite been like that, or as smooth as I as I thought, because you're still you're still having to go through Xcode and you know, which is the Mac IDE, um, and it's it's hairy. It's difficult to get things even just started. You know, and that's where I ended up with Adobe XD because I just needed to throw a mock together, and I thought, well. I could just throw it together in the real thing and be done with it. Nope, that did not happen. It did not happen that way. So I had to jump back to XD just to get the design and mock and sort of get the project, give the project a little bit of light with the stakeholders and so we can continue to move forward with it. Yeah, it's amazing how that sometimes, you know, just being able to see a glimpse of something real uh, can convey your message too. too. Whoever yeah, I think that's a hundred percent what you gotta do. I mean, if you're in a company where you're trying to, you know, push the boundaries and do new things, I mean you gotta show some concrete stuff, you know, and, and that will help the conversation along right away. Because you get that wow factor wow factor, right? Which you wouldn't get if you're looking at a PowerPoint presentation, you know, or something. You know, when you kind of feel the real deal and you touch the iPad and the app is responding, you know, I mean, that's, that's awesome. And I got to commend Adobe XD for this because it really did deliver. Oh, it's, um, it's, it's very What nice. I threw together in 20, 30 minutes was unbelievable. I even told Yanni, I said, they should even, they should almost make this a thing where you get to just export your app right out of Adobe XD because it's able to do so many things that for simple apps, really, it could be a game changer. I'm surprised they haven't done that. Yeah, I mean, if all you needed was, uh, say, just support for JavaScript, that doesn't seem that uh, unrealistic for them to be able to generate apps out of there. Yeah, I mean, considering the fact that... Very basic functionality is what I was going to say. Yeah, no, I mean, considering the fact that they already kind of do that with with their own Adobe XD app. Obviously, you have to have the XD app installed and then your mocks run inside inside of it but again for being for very simple implementations and you know a lot of apps are not hugely you know processor heavy 3d games you know a lot of apps are not that you know a lot of companies just need simple apps that they're maybe even their internal employees can use and fill out some forms and it's it's all very simple for the majority of the of the apps right there's yep. some really cool games and stuff but that's that's not what most companies would need most companies probably need more 
utilitarian kind of applications, which would be really, really easy to do in something like Adobe XD. Yeah, and that's why we've seen a you know somewhat of a pickup in the progressive web apps. But um, there's between them and then a real, I don't know whether it be a native app or a hybrid app of some sort. There's such a big gap in that development time and and the build out stages. So that's uh, why I think a lot of developers like us like to knock out those web apps, even though they're limited. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I've been getting this this feeling lately of you know my machine. I've been struggling with my machine again. I've already talked about it and how slow it is, and there is no real way for for you to sort of clean up your all these applications that you bring in through brew you know all the terminal applications that are probably running in the background of some sort right and bogging down your machine so i've been getting this just this feeling of that i have all this unused stuff in my terminal and i just need to start over right just delete everything and start over clean install yeah yeah i mean you, i don't know i've know, been struggling with it I got that same feeling when I was doing all the Android SDKs and such. I just felt like there was so much bloat everywhere that it was a nice peace of mind uh, to just back up what I needed and just wipe wipe a machine and start from scratch. Yeah, and yeah, and I'm I'm completing my my print project, my huge print project this week. I'm sending it off to the printers tomorrow. And you it gonna is, post some I've, video of uh, you going to the printers again? Are you taking a yeah, tour yeah. there? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So we do a big project once a year, and we do we use web printers, which is basically what they what you would use to see like in a newspaper not, or something. Not web like internet web, right? Not internet web, as in like web paper. So it's this huge thousand pound rolls of paper, and it rolls through all these huge building, you know, of full of machines, and at the other side, you end up with this huge roll of your print, right, on the other side. A lot like how like a newspaper would be, right? So it's this huge web of paper, goes around the machine, prints on it one color at a time, and you end up with your product at the other, at the other side. Um, but, you know, work, working in web, in, you know, websites, applications for so long, sending them off to the printer feels so permanent. It's almost like a tattoo, you know? So it's like if I make a mistake right, and, I, and mistype the word or something anywhere in this document, it's going to be in there forever. And I can't just commit into GitHub and, and fix it. And it's, it's such a bad feeling. <laughs> Code review. Man, it's like a tattoo, man. It's like getting, it's, I'm sending it off to the printers and it's almost like you're, you're you know, it's like, this is permanent. Like, this is it. If you made oh. a mistake, you're going to know about it for the next year. Oh, hey, I'll come up to South Carolina next week. I'll stock up on coffee, go through word by word, picture by picture. Make sure. Yeah, unfortunately, it's due tomorrow. So, oh, shoot. That's not gonna, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow is it. So, next time we talk, it's going to be off to the printer. So, ready. So, whew, wish me luck. That's, that's my project for tomorrow, just to quadruple, quintuple check everything. Well, good luck on but, that. Yeah, I know. And the other thing is, man, I've been getting some some back pain lately too. I've been struggling with that. I wake up sore. I stay sore all day. Been considering a stand up desk. It's uh, yeah, yeah, my back is not happy right now. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to get into a stand up desk setup too. Just been procrastinating on it. Uh, I did invest in a good chair for for my office a few years ago, and I'm really glad I did. Um. But yeah, been thinking about you know new mattress as well. Now that we bought the new house and and uh, just trying to trying to make sure too at night I'm getting the best sleep possible. Yeah, I think the mattress is what's what's killing me right now. Um, so I used to like when I was younger. I really used to like soft mattresses, but I think that that uh, that time has come and gone. It's, it's the time for me to get a harder mattress. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, I always like to sink in, but then uh, as I started getting a bit older, and especially uh, you know when Donna, and my wife, uh, and I first moved in together, we uh, 
we went with a firm mattress and I thought I was going to hate it, but I really love what uh, we ended up getting and it's probably time now for something new. But yeah, that, that yeah. technology in that market has come a long way in the past 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, my mattress is not that old, but I just, I feel like I need more stiff, you know, okay. a little bit more, a little bit more support and hopefully that would help me because my back thing is, is, is dry. I'm struggling with my back. You know, it's tried to stretch or tried to walk, you know, a couple of times a day just to get the muscles moving. But man, I am sore. My whole back feels sore. It's not great. Cool. Tell me if it's a chiropractor. Maybe, maybe. Do it. I got Do one it. close by. Yeah. Feel scared about them. They no, just no, like no. yank yank you with weird positions. Get a gentle one. They, they <laughs> Get a gentle one. No. Are you are you gentle, sir? Are you are you a gentle chiropractor? I went to one one time who was real aggressive and uh really when he did the neck twist, I was in pain for many weeks after that. And uh, <sighs> afterwards I've I've had a very gentle uh, chiropractor I've been going to who you don't think you're going to feel any different, but you come out of there feeling light as a feather. Really, uh, really does. That's, that's awesome. I got to try it. I got one right close by to me. And it would, it would be easy to just get an appointment and just go. So yeah, I, I may have to, it. I may have to, may have to. Yeah. All right, man. Well, this has been good. This is. And, call uh, yeah. Yeah. I think so. We're, here at 52 minutes and uh like a formula one race we just got out one point say hey enough's enough but uh next yeah. week we're gonna talk i'm gonna talk a little bit about what distinct was and why it failed and uh yeah then we're also gonna talk about the lonely world of being solo developers at our companies and mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. we find ways around the loneliness and how we work as a team together on projects even though we are solo developers and uh, yeah. dive into that some more. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one because distinct had a lot of very cool stuff. So it wasn't lack of, you know, good product and good stuff. So it's, I'm excited to hear it. Yeah. Hindsight's to see 2020. What so uh, it's really going to be the first time I talk about what happened. It's an article I've been wanting to write, but I think with our new podcast, it's the perfect platform to really dive into it. And, uh, you know, you were part of that whole journey. So uh, I think there's some, uh, some insight too you can share about it. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited too. So it's one thing to hear it from you. You know, one thing is to live through it. So I'm excited to get the other coin, you know, the other side of the coin. Yeah. But, uh, all right, well, my name is Victor. Amiani. And... Thanks for hearing this. We're foreign devs. Have a great one. Yeah, buddy. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.